This week's parsha, Parshat Ba'alotcha, a very rich parasha, though Parshat Naso is a longer parasha than Parshat Ba'alotcha. Uh, since the end of Parshat Naso discusses the Korbanot Nisi'im over and over and over again, uh, and there's much repetitiveness there, uh, Parshat Ba'alotcha actually, uh, content-wise, is much richer, has much more to cover. Parshat Balotcha is the third parashat in Sefer Bamidbar. When we think of Sefer Bamidbar, we often think about uh, Dor Hamidbar and the failing of Dor Hamidbar, but indeed the first three parshiot, or at least the first two and a half parshiot, are before the failings of B'nai Yisrael and Hamidbar. And in fact, to understand the great disappointment of Dor Hamidbar and what happened to them in the, in the, in the sense that they were not able to go into Eretz Yisrael, um, we need to understand the greatness and the grandeur and the climax that is actually achieved in this week's Parsha. We're often m- misguided by our prior knowledge of the Torah. We know that there's Chet Hamer because we've learned the Torah. We know that there's Chet Korach, we know that there's the Mitavim and the Mitonanim, and all these sins that are described in Sefer Bamidbar. But in order to appreciate what exactly transpired here, we have to read the parasha as if we don't know what's going to happen next and see where the parasha is guiding us. And indeed, um, we've already covered in Parshat Bamidbar and uh, Naso the counting and the assigning of the Machanen, Parshat Bamidbar, the choosing of Shevet Levi, um, which um, is preparing us for traveling towards Eretz Yisrael, perhaps a, a, a Machanek, an encampment for war. Um, in Parashat Naso, we, um, we, discuss, we discuss the connection between the Machane, which is meant for the, the lay people, but uh, the Machane with a Mishkan in the middle of it, and the significance of that. And we continue in that light, and further on, with our traveling towards Eretz Yisrael and this Parsha, until we eventually come to the tragic turnaround that we also reach in this week's Parsha. If we begin at the begin at the beginning of the Parsha, we we begin with the commandment to Aharon to light the Nerot of the menorah. In general we can ask the question what is this uh, what is this parsha doing here? Menorah seems to be related to uh Parsha Sefer Vaikra, it appears in Sefer Shemot, appears in Sefer Vaikra as well. Chazal discussed this. Rashi brings it brings it uh, here at the beginning of Parshat Balotcha. Why is the tzivui of um, of, the, of lighting the menorah brought next to the korbanot of the nesiim from the end of last week's parsha? And Rashi understands when Aharon saw um, the, the nesiim being given this opportunity to to do such great dedication in the mishkan, he was he felt. Uh, I don't know if jealous is the right term, but he was disappointed that he wasn't able to have a special role as well. Um, of course, Aaron has a central role in the Mishkan, but he wanted to do something of his own initiative, something that was beyond the call of duty. The Nisim that brought the Korban out at the end of last week's Parsha were not obligated to bring this Korban. And Aaron too, though he is very much involved in the operations of the Mishkan, wanted to do something beyond the call of duty. And in that sense, um, Rashi says 
quoting Chazal that the answer to that was giving the tzivui here of uh, of the the nerot of lighting the nerot. Um, this has to be understand, uh, understood on the on the following background. The, the Rambam in Ilchot Biat Migdash, Paraktet Halachazain, tells us that Hadlakata Nerot Kesherab Zarim, the actual action of lighting the candles, the, the, the candles in the menorah, can be done by a non Kohen, a Zar. Um, the Hatavav Zanerot, preparing the Nerot for lighting, has to be done by a Kohen, but the actual act of lighting could be done. Theoretically, by a czar, by a non-Kohen. And in fact, the fact that God gives Aaron this mitzvah of lighting the Nerot is beyond the call of duty then. Um, it is not in his role as a Kohen that he's lighting the Nerot, because, as we said, even a non-Kohen could light the Nerot. If we try to understand this within the rubric of what we've been trying to explain over the last parasha, Aharon lighting the candles in the Mishkan is not Aharon HaKohen, who does all the Avodot in the Mishkan, but Aharon is Aharon, the head of the Mishkan within the Machaneh. And he is lighting the candles of the Menorah. And of course the candles of the menorah are giving light. And though they are giving light within the Mishkan, we can view the, the lights of the menorah as giving light to the entire Machaneh. And this is exactly what we've been trying to describe. The Machaneh, which in the middle of the Machaneh is a Mishkan. The Mishkan gives light to the entire Machaneh. And this is the uniqueness of this Machaneh. It is not a mundane Machaneh, it is a Machaneh with Kedusha, with the Mishkan, and the Mishkan influences the Machana. And this influence we talked about in last week's parsha, vis-a-vis Birkat Kohanim, that the Kohanim are giving their bracha from the Mishkan to the Machana, the bracha of Hashem from the Mishkan to the Machana. And here too we see a parallel idea that Aharon, not Aharon HaKohen, who does all the Avodot in the Mishkan, because this is not an Avodah in the Mishkan, because we said a non-Kohen could light the Nerot. Aharon, the head of the Mishkan, the representative of the Mishkan, lights the Nerot of the Menorah in the Mishkan to give light to the entire Machaneh. And that was Aaron's special mitzvah that he got at the beginning of the Parsha, above and beyond the call of duty. This is not one of his obligations as a Kohen. This is, is his obligation as, if you will, the Nasi of the Mishkan. If the Nasi'im of the Shvatim in the Machaneh brought special korbanot at the end of last week's parasha, Aaron HaKohen, the Nasi of the Mishkan, if I may, may be allowed to use that term, is given a mitzvah, not as a Kohen, to light the Nerot and to give light to the entire Machaneh from the Mishkan. And from here we move on to the rest of the parsha to try to see where the parsha is taking us to. The next parasha from in Perakhed from Pasuk Hay till the end of the Perak Pasuk Havav is a further discussion of the Levim. Here the Levim are dedicated, they are they are they are brought as a korban. They are they are they we do tnufa, raising them, they are shaven, they are anointed. 
the the Levim become get their their dedication into their role in the, in the Mishkan, and we we've already discussed the role of the Levim and why they're obviously part of uh, Sefer Bamidbar and the Machaneh. They have the central role of constructing and deconstructing the Mishkan and carrying the Mishkan throughout the Midbar. And therefore, this fits into what we're doing here. The next parasha is Korban Pesach. And Korban Pesach, Rashi points out, though slightly differently than where I will be taking it, Rashi points out that this is the only Korban Pesach they brought in the Midbar. Um, this has many different explanations, which eventually all converge into one central point. Um, first of all, in Sefer Shemot we read that Korban Pesach is a mitzvah to Ba'aretz. So, in other words, any mitzvah that's connected to Eretz Yisrael is done only in Eretz Yisrael. Therefore, we don't really need an excuse to explain why they didn't bring Korban Pesach for the entire four years of the Midbar. We actually need to say that this was a unique circumstance where God commanded them to bring Korban Pesach even though they were not in Eretz Yisrael. Chazal talk about the fact that um, no one had a Brit Milah in the Midbar, obviously beyond this point. And th- because there was a r- the wrong wind was blowing in the midbar, which made the brit milah dangerous uh, procedure to, to to do, and therefore, if one's sons have do not have a brit milah, one is not permitted to bring korban pesach. All of this brings us to one point: korban pesach is the brit between Am Yisrael and Kadosh Baruch Hu that they did upon leaving Mitzrayim in order to reach Eretz Yisrael. The Brit Milah is also connected to Eretz Yisrael, and that's why while they were in the Midbar, till this point, they did continue to do Brit Milah, but after Chet Aglim, the Brit Milah stopped. And again, Chazal gave a technical reason of the wind, but the essential idea here is that Brit Milah and Eretz Yisrael and Korban Pesach are connected. When B'nai Yisrael, at this point, are prior to their sins, which stop them from going into Eretz Yisrael, they are on their way to Eretz Yisrael, and therefore God commands them at this juncture to bring Korban Pesach. Yes, it's true you are in the Midbar, and usually in Chutz La'aretz there is no Korban Pesach. However, you are in the Midbar on the way to Eretz Yisrael. And in that sense, it's correct to bring Korban Pesach, which is the Korban, which brings together Brit Milah and Korban Pesach and Eretz Yisrael, all of this in a covenant with God. We then, after the Korban Pesach, and then we discuss Pesach Sheni as well. Pesach Sheni, circumstances in which individuals cannot or did not bring the Korban Pesach at the, at the first, at the right time. And Tetvav Nisan, Yudal of Nisan, pardon me, they bring it Yudal of Yar. And then the, the Torah goes on to discuss what happens, how did they travel and it all centers around the Anan and the Mishkan. When the Anan lifts up from the Mishkan, it moves to a new place, and that's where they travel to. Whether they traveled for one day, or for, for a month, or they stayed for a day, or they stayed for a month, all that's discussed in Psukim, Tedvav, through Kav Gimel and Paraktet, foreshadowing the movements of B'nai Israel in the Midbar. Perak Yud, begins with the mitzvah of Chatzotzrot. Chatzotzrot, when we look in, uh, into Halakha, are clay mikdash. They have a role 
in the Mikdash. We see this in the Psukim as well. Who who uh, who who blows the the chatzotrot? Aaron. Aaron Aaron Beyond that, uh, the pasuk says, "Uviyom simchatchem uvmoadechem uvrashechotchem utkatem b'chatzotot alolotechem v'alzivcheishamechem v'yulachem lezikaron lifnei aloichem ani adonai aloichem." The the chatzotot are blown at the time of korbanot musafim biyom simcha uvmoadechem. The the chatzotot is brought in a different context. V'chitavom yilchama b'artzechem. So one might think that the chatzotot then is blown to warn us of the coming of the enemy, but that's not what the Torah is is, is describing here. Blowing the Chatzotra is an act of being of reminding God of our presence in front of Him. It's in fact the equivalent of blowing the Shofar in Rosh Hashanah. And that of course is also another context of the Chatzotra. We know in the Beit HaMikdash, alongside the Shofarot that were blown on Rosh Hashanah, Chatzotrot were blown as well. So Chatzotrot have a clear Mikdash orientation. And here once again we're about to see the the overlapping of the Mikdash with the Machaneh. Because the first thing that the Torah tells us about the Chatzotrot is not for the purpose of the Mikdash. Rather it's for, we'll read, The Chatzotrot this kli that is used in the Mishkan is used for calling the Eidah together and for Lemasah HaMachanot, for making the Machanot travel. And then the Torah goes into detail to describe just how that takes place. Once again, we're seeing this overlapping between the Mishkan and the Machanot through the Chatzotrot. The Chatzotrot, the kli of the Mishkan, the kli of the Mikdash, which is in the center of the Machanot, is used... To, to move the Machaneh. Once again, something from the Mishkan influencing the Machaneh. We can almost say finally, after all these preparations towards traveling, describing how the traveling will work, the Chatzotzot, in Perak Yud Aleph of Pasuk Yud, and then the, the Torah goes into detail to describe how they traveled just as they were told. And even the, the, the tune in which we read this, for those of us who will be in shul, in most Ashkenazi synagogues, will we'll, we'll notice that a special tune is used to read this parasha. It's the tune that we're familiar with from Shirat Hayam. This is this is a great moment. All the preparation towards the traveling of the Machanah Bnei Israel have received the Torah. They have built the Mishkan. They have assembled themselves into a Machanah. And now they are ready to travel, and they are traveling. And the Anan goes before them. And we read this with the exact same tune that we read Shirat Hayam. This is a triumphant moment. This is a historic moment. Moshe tells his father-in-law in the next parasha, We are finally going, finally is my emphasis, to the place where God says, I, uh, God said, I will give to you. 
B'nai Yisrael are on their way. Vayisu mehar Adonai derech shloshet yamim. Vaaron brit Adonai nosea lifnehem. Derech shloshet yamim latur lahem menucha. They traveled from Har Hashem, from Har Sinai, where they've been now for 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 a prolonged period to receive the Torah and to build a Mishkan. And the Aron Brit Hashem is going before them to search out a place to rest. Vanan Adonai Alehem Yomam Benosam Mina Machane. Vayhi bin Soah Aron Vayomar Moshe Kuma Adonai Vayafutsu Oivecha Vayanusu Mesanecha Mipanecha. When the Aron travels, God Moshe says that God should arise. And disperse his enemies, and his enemies should run away from him. Of course, Bnei Yisrael are heading to Eretz Yisrael; they're heading for war, and God will go before them and disperse the enemies. What beauty! What perfection! Bnei Yisrael in a in a machane with the Mishkan in the middle. They've received the Torah. They've built the Mishkan. They've even managed to sin to God and and come back to God after in, in the in the wake of Chet Egel. They are going to Eretz Yisrael with this unique relationship of the Machane and the Mishkan, the Machane of regular people with the Mishkan of Kedusha in the middle. Bnei Yisrael heading out to Eretz Yisrael. And the next pasuk, we come down with a tremendous crash. The people are complaining. The, when we look in the Torah, in the Sefer Torah, we have this unique situation where we have two nuns written into the Sefer Torah backwards, the mirror image of a nun. And Chazal discussed this, and, and clearly, when we come to this point in Parshat Balotcha, everything was going so smoothly, everything was was heading towards Eretz Yisrael, and everything comes to a standstill here. Everything starts. Failing to work. We haven't reached rock bottom yet. Rock bottom will reach in stages, Parshat Shlach and finally Parshat Korach. But we stop moving forward at this point. Things stop working from this point and on. What were B'nai Yisrael complaining about? Vayam kemitonenim. The Mepharshim here speculate, the Ramban wants to give an answer which somehow ties into the Psukim. It says in the previous Psukim, they started traveling, they're now going into the Midbar, they've been sitting in a, in a fixed place now for, for close to a year. Uh, it's suddenly frightening to them that they're going into the Midbar, they're traveling, and they're complaining, how are we going to do this? So they lack faith in God. But Rashi hits a point upon something which seems to me to be more real. The Torah doesn't say what the complaint is. It seems that the people feel unsettled. And, and, and Rashi says they're looking for something to complain about. And really what they want is they want to move away from God. There's something that 
even the people at this point can't put their finger on. They don't like this situation. They want out. There's something wrong. They're not comfortable with what is going on here. And there's a punishment, and, they, and the people call out to Moshe, and Moshe prays, Ki Hashem, and we move on. But it doesn't end here because they move into the next sin. We want meat. Is meat the issue? So the Ramban says meat is the issue. They don't have meat. Uh, they shouldn't be complaining the Ramban agrees, but they really don't have meat. And Rashi, says, Rashi takes a very clear opinion that they had meat. And he quotes Psukim from Yitziat Mitzrayim on the one hand, and Psukim from when Bnei Israel eventually go into Eretz Israel to show that at both stages they had much, much flock. They had they had they had sheep and they had cattle. They had no lack of meat. They're complaining again. What are they complaining about? And here, the complaint which will ultimately lead us to what Bnei Israel are really complaining about, and which we'll see in full force in Parshiot Shlach and Korach, starts taking form here. Zacharno tadagasher nochal b'mitzrayim chinam et ha-kishuim ve-et ha-vatichim ve-et ha-chatsir ve-et ha-betalim ve-et ha-shumim Mitzrayim suddenly comes up again. B'nai Yisrael are complaining about Mitzrayim. They miss Mitzrayim. Again, it's early to say what is it exactly about Mitzrayim that they want. This is something that will further develop in Parshiot Shlach and Korach. But it's about Mitzrayim. And God, God notices this too. He knows it's not really about the meat. When God says that He will give them meat, He says, Ad chodesh yamim, in Pasuk Haf, Ad chodesh yamim, Ad asher yetzeh me'apechem v'haya lachem lezara, Yan, ki me'astem et Adonai asher bekirbechem, v'tivku lafanav lemor, lama ze yatsanu mimitzrayim. God understands there are two points to the complaint. The complaint is really Lama Zeyatanumi Mitzrayim. Notice B'nai Israel didn't use that term here. They will use that term. They have used that term by Kriyamsuf. But here they haven't said it. They just said Zacharu Mitzrayim Chinam. But God interprets this Lama Zeyatanumi Mitzrayim. And the other side of the coin is that not just Lama Zayatanumi Mitzrayim, but Kimi Astemet Hashem Asher Bechem. God understands that they want Mitzrayim, they don't want God. And Rashi keeps on touching on this point. He, he brings a Midrash Chazal about Bochel Mishpechotav. He brings the pshat in Pasuk Yud. It says, Rashi says, Each family cried. And the Chazal said, They are crying because they have to keep the Isurim of Arayot. 
And this fits in together with Rashi on the Pasuk. We remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim Chinam. And Rashi says, they didn't even give them the Tevin, the straw for bricks for free. They had to go out and get the straw themselves. And they were giving them fish for free? Ella, what's Chinam? What does Chinam mean, Rashi says? Chinam mina mitzvot. B'nai Yisrael are not prepared to go into this relationship with God. They don't, they wanted Chinam mina mitzvot. They don't like the Iskei Mishpechotav. They don't like the Isurei Arayot. And God understands this. Ki me'astemet Hashem asher bekir bechem. God tried to set up a holy machana with a mishkan in the middle, and this am is not ready for it. They are not prepared for it. They want Mitzrayim. The end of the parasha, we have a complaint about the leader as well, Moshe and Aaron. Pardon me, Miriam and Aaron complain against Moshe. And from there we go into Chet HaMeraglim, into Parshat Shlach. The, the tragedy of this week's Parsha that we saw from the beginning, we hit a climax and we've started going down the hill. They started complaining. What did they complain about? Unclear. The Torah doesn't even say. There's something wrong. Mitonanim. Mitavim, they want meat. Do they want meat? Rashi says they don't want meat. God says they don't want meat. God says they want to go back to Mitzrayim. They're Mo'es Ba'ashem. God is trying to set up the Machaneh and the Mishkan, and they're not ready for this holiness. They're not ready for the Kedushah. They're not ready for all mitzvot. And then the complaint starts filling over to Moshe. B'nai Yisrael are ill-prepared for this reality. They reject this reality. And they're going to reject, next week's parsha Eretz Yisrael as well. And the reality of mitzvot and kiyum mitzvot and the difficulties of life in Eretz Yisrael. To the extent that they're going to reject this life of mitzvot in freedom in their own country, that they'd rather be slaves or ovdeh avodah zarah, but are without mitzvot in Mitzrayim. And this is the tragedy of this week's Parsha. This week's Parsha is heading towards Eretz Yisrael with all the grandeur and greatness of a Machaneh with the Mishkan and a crash. We hit Vayhibin Sa'aron, we hit those two nuns in the middle of the Parsha, and Sefer Bamidbar takes a turn to begin a long spiral downward of 38 years of silence. The, the majority of the 40 years in, Sefer, in, in the Midbar, in the wilderness, there's not a word written about it in the Torah. And the beginning of the tragedy, the beginning of the spiraling downwards, is in this week's Parsha. We hit the double noons, and from here on in, Dora Midbar begins sinking downwards until it hits rock bottom, and until there's nothing more to say about them, that they passed away, and 40 years passed, and a new generation arises in Parashat Chukat. Shabbat Shalom.